1: Right. No little I'll packets of mesquite. You need a big truck full of, of whatever you're going to use, cherry wood or probably not hickory, but uh, mesquite, that works. What kind of wood do you use? Bill Fian. It's Cooley Region Cooks, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Bill Fian, who is uh, has a, a long, a pedigree of cooking uh, in, his, uh, in his past
0: right yeah in my checkered
1: past my mom would say in my checkered <laughs> mom you don't have a checkered past oh you have no idea honey
0: <laughs> yeah well we all we were all young once and i sure. grew up with the uh, grandparents that owned a restaurant i worked as a broker representative i spent 16 years with unilever one of the largest food manufacturing companies in the world and uh Got to work with a lot of chefs and a lot of restaurant businesses, and uh, and
1: along the way learned how to cook a pretty good meal.
0: It it's pretty awesome when you work with chefs for sixteen years. You pick up a few tricks, I
1: guess. So uh, so yikes! It smells delicious. Did you actually bring rack of lamb?
0: We have rack of lamb with grilled asparagus and tomato parmesan risotto for the staff here at WIZM today.
1: Well, I ho- I may turn the fan around so that the aroma doesn't leave the studio because that just sounds amazing
0: it is amazing
1: Yeah. (laughs) where did you find that recipe i made it up did you really yeah you you like that too don't you yeah you get a taste somebody says hey i gotta you wanna i give you a great price on a rack of lamb you want it yeah
0: well you know go
1: home and think oh man how am i gonna cook it poke around on the internet and
0: Exactly. Go from there? That's exactly how it went, you know. Um, I like to buy a lot of meat products at Sam's Club in Alaska. Sure. And they have this New Zealand rack of lamb there. And so going through the case, I'd always look at it and I've had rack of lamb in restaurants before and really enjoyed it, so I thought, "Hey, let's let's try this out." You know, the price isn't that much different than buying a couple of T-bone steaks.
1: That's great. And what's different about New Zealand lamb than Minnesota lamb?
0: I, I couldn't tell you. I guess Sam's Club found a source there, oh, but uh, that's but well, that's what they saw.
1: Uh, and I'm not opposed. Just curious. New Zealand rack lamb, because I understand when it's salmon, when you're talking about fish, the fish that are over there closer to Russia than closer to the Gulf of Mexico, they taste different.
0: I do know that that's a, a big industry in New Zealand. Uh, is it? Yeah. that's Sheep is a big industry there, so that's sure. probably why. Makes sense. But You've uh got yeah, a lot can, of them. I came home, and, uh, you know, I thought, uh, hey, let's let's uh, work on this. And uh, so one of the things that always bothered me about uh, the way that rack of lamb is prepared is it's often prepared with rosemary. And if you've ever had it, you get these little rosemary leaves that are kind of chewy. Yeah. And so one of the things that I did, I've made this many times now, is I, I've used a mortar and pestle to grind the rosemary up into a powder. Oh, sure. So you get the nice flavor of the rosemary without that unpleasant chewiness without of the leaves. the stuff
1: leaves. you have to pick out of your teeth. Exactly. Yeah. right. Oh, and if you don't like that, you can always just drown it in, la- in a mint jelly. I've never quite fully understood the first, first several times as a young adult, lamb with mint jelly.
0: Yeah, I'm not a mint jelly. I don't like that at all, but I do like like a cherry sauce or like a... Uh, a demi-gloss sauce, maybe with uh, some kind of fruit, plum or cherry, in there. That can be a nice compliment. Sure, sure. But this is uh, this is a recipe that's easy to do. You could do it on the grill, so you're not heating up your kitchen. And well,
1: than that, yeah. driving the neighbors nuts. I kind of like that.
0: Right. Yeah. The neighbors will be looking over the, the aroma, fence when they smell that, that roasting lamb that, and yeah. rosemary. They're going to want a piece.
1: That's awesome. And uh, th- so, okay, the lamb and asparagus. Honestly. Somebody taught me a long time ago that uh, if you put asparagus, lay it out, trim it. Of course, all the woody parts. Right. Trim it, lay it out on a cookie sheet or a jelly roll pan, uh, and drizzle it with with uh, olive oil or uh, a sauce of some sort. Olive
0: oil for me, or uh, yeah, the olive. Ice. Olive oil is the traditional way of doing sure. it, right?
1: And then a little shaved Parmesan cheese, and roast it. Right. It's delicious.
0: It is delicious. I have, and I've
1: been afraid to go away from that because I know this is going to be delicious.
0: So you're just missing one ingredient that can really take it to another level, Ugh. and that's some garlic. Oh, so man. So either get some of that Daddy minced garlic. Daddy loves garlic, garlic I yes. tell you. <laughs> Olive oil and garlic, every Italian heart is beating a little faster right now. So you probably have, put that in
1: there. I have, interestingly enough, a, a friend from upstairs years ago, gave me almost a lifetime supply of, of uh, infused olive oil because she said, at our house, we're just plain kind of meat and potatoes, ketchup, mustard, maybe some mayonnaise. This infused olive oil, uh, I'll be the only one that will ever cook with it and I'll have to hide it because when my family finds out I'm using rosemary-infused olive oil instead of corn oil, they won't eat it. Wow. So she gave me a basket filled with oils and I have a garlic infused olive oil at home I also have rosemary infused olive oil at home right now waiting to be used on a rack of lamb or on a pound of asparagus so I'm ahead of the game a little bit there huh
0: yeah the asparagus by accident the asparagus with olive oil that's probably been prepared that way for thousands of years and when you do it on the grill it it kind of caramelizes the sugars so when we when we do the the lamb on the grill you know, we're going to take that lamb, we're going to rinse it, we're going to pat it dry, uh, we're going to apply salt and pepper. I like granulated uh, garlic, and, and so oh. I put I put that on there. And then uh, restaurant grind black pepper. You can buy this uh, in bulk, you know, at, at Sam's Club. But I put that on there, and then I take and I grind up those rosemary leaves in the mortar and pestle. Sure, sure. Put that on there, and then you just do that right on the grill for about two minutes on each side. you got to watch it. Lamb is kind of greasy, and if you don't watch it, it can flare up and burn. But you do that for two minutes on each side, and then put that rack of lamb on the top rack for about mm, eight to ten minutes, depending on if you like it rare or medium rare. On the top rack? Right, yeah, to finish it. Because, you know, you want to cook through to the center of that loin. So we sear it because that caramelizes the sugars in the meat and provides that great uh, grilled flavor. And then we put it up on the top rack. And the other thing that we should mention is when you start this process, you start by uh, what I do is I do the asparagus in a foil packet. So before I do anything, I trim the bottom two to three inches off of the asparagus, put it in the packet, drizzle it with oil, add in the, um, the garlic, Close up that packet so that goes on the grill first. I put that on the top rack to start cooking. Now you're doing. You can do this with while you're doing the uh, while you're doing the rack of lamb. Ah. Uh, and and then the other part uh, that I serve with this is the tomato parmesan risotto.
1: Oh yeah, we got to get to that too. I'm cur- I ju- it just occurred to me uh, the oil that I was trying to think of that I couldn't because I, I do use olive oil more often than not. A creme de balsamic, a bals- balsamic oil. That's just reduced, reduced. It's, it's like sludge coming
0: out of a bucket. Yeah, the balsamic vinegar uh, added to that asparagus man. is a real nice change of pace, I too. I got
1: goosebumps. I have goosebumps just <laughs> thinking about asparagus.
0: Yeah, my wife, Sue, that's her favorite. In the summer, I grow basil and tomatoes, and then we do a little mozzarella cheese and drizzle that balsamic, balsamic vinegar over it. Wow, know. is that good? Man, that is so good. Cooley
1: Region Cooks, you hungry? We'll dive into a re- Well, we already did the asparagus because that one's easy. Uh, but rack of lamb and a little risotto coming up right after this. Ah, we're just laughing. Cooley region cooking. I'm Mike Hayes, Bill Fee, and my guest in the kitchen, because as my dad, my dad is laughing his butt off right now, because even though we're not in an official kitchen, he has said, did say more than maybe any other phrase. If you're not having fun in the kitchen, you're just doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, period. That And you got to have fun in the kitchen. And clearly, uh, you're a guy that would have. It would be fun to play with in the kitchen because we're, we're we're not even cooking and we're already laughing. Absolutely about doing stuff because your rice is going to be different. My rice is almost always different, and I explained why. Sauces are all for me are often different. I need some dipping sauce for the whatever. Okay, I can put together a dipping sauce. Okay, well, what's in it? Well, there's mayonnaise and there's some. I was going to use ketchup, but I got this barbecue sauce. I was going to use regular mustard, but I got this pub mustard that a friend made. Oh, good. I'm going to put some blue cheese in there because I like blue cheese, some garlic, some, you know, some seasonings. Pretty soon I've got enough dipping sauce to uh, to go with whatever we're dipping in it. Chicken nuggets in some cases. Wow, that's really good. Could you do it again? Well, you know, kind of because I still ha- I didn't throw away any of the ingredients that I used in this dip. But if I use the last of something, like the rice we were talking about, I use the last of my jasmine. I don't have any more jasmine. So could I do this again? Maybe, but not right away. i got to come up. Because in my kitchen, I have all these ingredients. I have. I never, I never don't have a bunch of different seasonings and so forth. And that's like anybody else. In your kitchen, you never are out of
0: certain things. Well, working in the food business, I have a pretty well stocked pantry. I'll bet. So,
1: bigger than most two,
0: I'll bet. Oh, my goodness. Well, we have three refrigerators. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, and a chest freezer. I have freezer. two
1: freezers, but I only have one refrigerator. Yeah.
0: Well, we have three refrigerator freezers <laughs> and a chest freezer. So, uh, and then we have two two dry storage pantries. So, there's a wide array of products in there. There's
1: something for everybody.
0: For yeah. You. And, and you know what? Um, I'm always experimenting with things, and this recipe that we're going to talk about next uh, for risotto. As a kid, my mom's Italian. Your listeners probably remember that she's 100% Northern Italian. My grand her parents operated a restaurant, so I had no idea when I was growing up that I was eating gourmet food. From you know, I just thought everybody ate it that way. Sure, but risotto was just a a common side dish, you know, uh, Northern Europeans probably eat a lot of potatoes, Southern Europeans eat a lot of rice. So having risotto with a meal was kind of like having mashed potatoes and gravy. And so, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of rices you can use out there. The one that I really like is the Italian Arborio rice. And you can get this at festival foods. It comes in a two and two pound container. And, uh, when I make the, the risotto, I, I use one cup of that arboreal rice. Okay. And that's going to create enough to serve about four people. And that fits right in with the rack of lamb. That two and a half pound package of lamb is going to be a nice entree for four people. So, what we do is uh, we start by putting a couple tablespoons of oil in the pan and we dice up about a half a cup of onion. Uh, I like to use a sweet onion. Um, if I can find Vidalia I mean, onions, I, I nice always. Love the Vidalia awesome. onions, so you chop that up, you saute that, and then you can add in the rice. And uh, and you, the reason you do that is that's what brings the rice to be al dente. So if so you so you're
1: gonna kind of fry this rice. Yep. In onion juice before you add water. And well, oil
0: it? it's it's the onion and the olive oil, and so oh, the oil. Sure, so sure. we're just gonna lightly toast that um, that rice for about two minutes. And what it does is it changes the consistency of the risotto. So depending on how you like it, if you like it creamy, you don't toast it at all. You just start adding in the stock. Right. But if you yeah. want it to have a little more texture, a little more of that al dente, then the longer you toast it, the more al dente the rice will be in the risotto. Is
1: this a low and slow or, a, you know, quick and dirty kind yeah,
0: of Yeah, uh, medium heat. Okay. All right. and so you got to pay yeah, attention. This is, yeah, we're we're going to, we're going to, We need to bring up the stock because that's the next ingredient. So, we want four cups of chicken stock. And because this is a tomato risotto, what I like to do is I like to use tomato paste. I like that flavor profile for the tomato. Sure. So, one six ounce can. Of contadina tomato paste is the one my mom always used. I've tried other ones. I really like that one. Do you use the contadina
1: with garlic and olive? Oil no, no,
0: no, no, plain, no, 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 no. Just plain, okay. Just the plain right. contadina six Check ounce it. can of tomato paste. Now, if you want it to have a stronger tomato profile, you could use the 12 ounce can. <laughs> and, you know, well, and this is where people have their own preferences. But sure. The way I like it and the way mom did it was we put that six-ounce can, argue with mom, put that in there, and what I do is I get boiling water. So you take out your measuring cup, you got four cups, get the water as hot as you can from the tap, pop that in the microwave for a few minutes until it starts to boil. And then there's another product um, that's really important in this when we talk about creating a chicken stock. So when I worked for Unilever, Unilever was the largest food-based manufacturing company in America. We manufactured five different quality tiers of food bases, which chefs use all the time when they don't want to create something from true scratch. Sure. So the bottom level is what we basically called flavored salt, but that's what a bouillon cube is. It's basically flavored salt. It's right. the lowest level of creating a stock. Uh, we'll call it from fast scratch. Okay. So, But there's a product on the market now called Better Than Bouillon, and that's a paste. And the paste-type products are higher quality, and that's what I really like. Again, you can get this at your local festival food store. But uh, about two teaspoons heaping of that chicken base into that boiling water. You stir that up until it's dissolved. And then what I do is I add that six-ounce can of Contadina tomato paste right into the stock. Really? Right, because otherwise when you're... When you're going to be adding this into the rice, you're going to have these clumps of of, uh, of the uh, paste. And it's just so much easier if you dissolve that right into sure. the chicken stock.
1: Makes sense. Absolutely.
0: So we've got our
1: half a That's cup. That's really interesting because I found that, that soup uh, base that you use all the time. I do too. I found it by accident one day when somebody told me, you know, that bouillon cube is just flavored salt. And... There's about 100 times more salt in that than you're supposed to eat in a year. Exactly. So stop. Use this instead. So I started reading labels and found that soup stock. And you can get it in chicken and beef and vegetable and fish and all kinds of different flavors.
0: It's right. It's awesome. It's it's great. All the and years, lower in salt. All the years hey. that I worked in the restaurant industry, I saw this huge gap between the quality of the products we sold restaurants and what you can get in a grocery store. Sure. So this is really a nice innovation. Somebody had a good, good idea. Stuff. Yep. I, I would recommend uh, that you do that. And again, you know, I have high blood pressure. So, one of the things you'll notice really? in the course of this recipe, uh, these recipes, is I never add salt. Sure. Well, why is that? Because there's enough salt in the in everything that else. we're using <laughs> yeah. here. We don't have to add any salt, uh, with the exception of a little that we put on, on the rack of lamb. But um, so now we've come to the point where we have our chicken stock and our uh, tomato paste, that mixture. So now we're going to start to add that. Are you going to bring
1: that to a boil, or you just want it? You want it uh, infused so that the soup stock. You can pop melts it back and...
0: into the microwave for a couple minutes to okay. bring it back up to a hotter temperature okay. because that tomato paste being added in there's going to bring the temperature down. It's not essential. We're going to start to pour that uh, mixture into the rice uh, about a cup at a time. Oh, and then excellent. you might you're going to want to bring the heat up just a little bit, maybe to medium high. You got to stir while you're. Doing this, You can't walk away and leave it. you got to stir the rice to okay. keep it from sticking to the bottom of the pan. Okay. And we're going to put in that entire mixture, all four cups of it, one cup at a time. And then what you're going to notice is that the rice is going to start to absorb that mixture. You're going to get this nice red tomato sauce that's forming around it. And at this point, we're going to put that down on low heat after we've cooked the rice long enough to, to make it soft. We're going to put that on low heat and cover it and just set it off to the side as we move towards preparing the asparagus and, and the uh, rack of lamb. Oh, baby. It sounds really good.
1: And that's it. so you once it's cooked, just set it aside, leave the top on the container so you don't let any of the moisture out. I just leave It'll it right in the pan.
0: I yeah, put yeah. some aluminum foil over the pan, put it on low heat just to keep it warm. And then, you know, after we've prepared the lamb, in the asparagus, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to start to add the Parmesan cheese into it, which really makes it. So I like to put a lot of Parmesan cheese in there. You know, at least a half a cup, maybe a full cup. Did your mom and teach
1: you that, or did you learn that when you moved to Wisconsin?
0: My mom always put Parmesan cheese in everything. everything. If it was pasta, there was. Always, almost always, some Parmesan cheese in there. Of course, there's all kinds of different cheeses, but um, but yeah, the Parmesan cheese when you mix that in there, the tomato Parmesan, that risotto is delicious. Yep,
1: I freshly grated Parmigiano Reggiano, and I'm all
0: over that. It also creates a really nice plate appeal. So a lot of times, chefs when they're designing a meal, you know, there's some thought that goes into the color that's on the sure, plate, how it looks. So uh, you bet. Yeah, one of the things that th- – this is a beautiful plate because you have that nice pink uh, rack of lamb that you've sliced, and that's on the plate. And then I like to put that bright green asparagus.
1: Oh, uh, Jen, if you want to help yourself, that would be awesome because we're kind of yeah, busy doing this other – we yeah, can't also be our own server. I, yeah,
0: I can't serve <laughs> rack of lamb, Keep you busy over help here. Help yourself. Yeah. So – where were we? We are talking about... Uh, the plate. Oh, the, the plate. The, the so pretty, so yeah. in the middle of the plate, you have the asparagus. When you do the asparagus in that foil, it really makes the green of the asparagus pop. Stand out, sure. And, you know, one word of caution here when you're making the asparagus is only prepare what you think you're going to eat that night. I buy it in a two-pound package at Sam's Club. Uh, you know, that's a lot of asparagus, you know, for four people... Two pounds
1: Uh, is a ton. Yeah,
0: a a full pound, a pound of asparagus is probably enough for four people. And so, but it comes out and it's just this really bright green. It has that wonderful aroma from the garlic. And then, you know, you put this, um, I guess it's kind of a reddish orange uh, risotto to round out that plate. And it just has a lot of color. It has great eye appeal, which is part of of enjoying food is the, the look of it. Two
1: things, and then we got to check in with the news guys. Uh, My sister, she probably learned this from somebody because she's a horrible cook and and, because she hates it. Uh, So somebody taught her this, and she'd take – anytime there's leftover – in fact, sometimes she does it on purpose from the beginning. If there's leftover asparagus, back on that cookie sheet under a broiler until it is not quite – I say black, but I don't mean like dead – roasted and crispy, and all that leftover asparagus then has no chance of getting soggy and mushy and being terrible tomorrow because you can eat it like like uh, onion straws. It, you know, it, it, take all the moisture out, and it's just crispy asparagus, like the onion straws. And I learned something. that tomorrow. I,
0: I learned another trick. That's, yeah. That's what's fun about getting in the kitchen with other people and cooking. You learn lots of little and tricks. And you don't
1: have to, you know, because I agree 100%. Uh, asparagus that you cook the way you and I would cook it normally, tomorrow is going to be horrible, and you're not going to want it. You're going to dice it up small and put it in soup or something. The first time I, I I wasn't trying to make risotto, I was trying to make rice, and it came out sticky, all glumpy, and I thought, well, it's too late to do anything about it. You know, I did it on a pan because I don't have a rice cooker. Um, I did it on a pot on the stove, and I served it, and it was pretty and seasoned and tasted delicious. It was glumpy. Somebody at the table said, wow, your risotto is delicious. And I said, pardon me? Your risotto, it's delicious. How did you get it the perfect consistency? And I started to laugh because it was a mistake. I had no idea I was making risotto. I was trying to make rice. Then I just decided if anyone asks, I'll tell them it's sticky rice. And then you outed me completely and called it risotto. I had no idea. I had no idea that's what I was doing. So I accidentally made risotto for the very first time. Could I do it again tomorrow? Heck no, because I don't know what I did to accidentally make delicious risotto by accident. All right, we'll take a break. Cooley Region Cooks will be right back. Cooley Region Cooks, every Thursday from 10 to 11, we get together with people who like to have fun in the kitchen. And I am confident that my dad approves of my guest in the kitchen today because we do a lot of laughing. That would be a We spent a good deal of time, decades in the food business. Why, why did you get out? You got, were you still, because you, you're kind of in the political business now, uh, but you still like to cook. So you moved away from the kitchen and into a different arena.
0: Yeah, well, was you know, I, I mentioned or? I grew up in the business. I yeah. worked as a bartender for several years, and then um, eventually I had a partnership in a bar and a restaurant. And uh, let me tell you, the hardest working people in the world are the people that run restaurants. Oh, uh, my sure. sister owns a restaurant on Marco Island. It's called La Tavola. She uh, for the oh, last. Was at your
1: sister count? I told a bunch of people yesterday or the day before. It was your parents.
0: Well, my mom used to make desserts for Oh, the oh that was it. Right? Okay, it's Remember about, the,
1: at least there was the, a connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly. So, she, yeah, she was working mom in the restaurant making desserts. But, um, you know, the uh, the whole thing about the restaurant industry is the people that do this, especially with COVID-19. My, my sister literally didn't take a day off from the end of December uh, through the end of March. Not one day. Wow. They, they were working seven days a week. Yep. Short staff, people know all about that. But uh, these people work 100 hours a week. These small, independent restaurateurs, uh, they, they work very hard. And, uh, and so I did that, and you know, I looked around, and I said, man, I'm working 100 hours a week, and the bartenders make and waitresses make more than I do. And uh, so I just kind of decided that I wanted to do something else. I ended up uh, talking to a guy who gave me a shot to be a food broker, And then I got an opportunity to go to work for the number one company in America, which at that time was Best Foods. And uh, so I moved to La Crosse. That's 25 years ago. I moved here to work with Reinhardt Foods. Wow. And uh, it's just been uh, a wonderful experience for me. I never thought I would stay in La Crosse, Wisconsin. When I moved here, I thought I'm going to go get job experience. Sure.
1: And pretty soon I'll be where I want to be, Minneapolis. Yeah, and, Chicago you know, or or my dad New said,
0: Orleans oh, go there. It's a great place, and, you know, somebody will offer you a job. And sure enough, General Mills offered me a job, and I said, you know what? Thanks for the offer, but I'm staying in La Crosse, Wisconsin, because this is a special place. We, oh yeah, no doubt. We have special people here. We have a sense of community, and uh, and we have a lot of great independent restaurants. So, funny story, we love to cook at our house And uh, my wife, Sue, loves to bake, and we have grandchildren. So the youngest granddaughter is four years old. And so Grandma would have her come into the kitchen when she would be doing baking stuff, like making whatever it might be, cupcakes, cookies, brownies. Something, sure. And so uh, one morning, they're over, and Grandma turns on the blender for a second, and here comes little Chloe. She runs and she grabs one of the high bar stools, and shoves it up to the island where Grandma's doing all the baking and hops up there because she wants to help. I'm ready so, to go. She, at four years old, she associated the sound of <laughs> the that sound blender of with good cooking that's coming out of the kitchen from Grandma. And so, yeah, you know, come back about, in
1: 17 years, honey, and I'll give you a margarita that I'm making in this blender.
0: Cooking is about family <laughs> and it's about love and it's about having fun.
1: Right. Well, and it's so fun that uh, your four year old granddaughter like pavlov's granddaughter here's the blender and comes
0: running what are you bit what are you baking grandma i'm yeah. here to help it's yeah. gonna be great grabs Whatever the high bar stool shoves it up to the that's counter hilarious. I, i'm here and i'm ready to lick the paddle yeah that's <laughs>
1: hilarious oh yeah my kids were always good with cl- helping grandpa clean up because they didn't want to do any of the work they didn't because grandpa never let them use an easy knife to dice something up oh why don't you let grandpa yeah, but using the tiny knife isn't fun, Grandpa. I want to do something fun. Well,
0: I'll call you. You can come back and, and lick the stuff. Shall we talk a little bit about uh, the preparing the lamb on the grill?
1: Yeah. Well, you, right. Well, preparing it from the time you bring it home from the store. Because okay. like, uh, like ribs, you, you can't just bring them home, take them out of the package, and toss them on the, on the grill.
0: So as I mentioned before, there's a two-and-a-half-pound package that I buy at Sam's Club. Cost the same as about a package of uh, T-bone steaks. Uh, it's so if you want to try something different, this sure. is something that's not going to bust the bank. Um, but but you bring that home, it's in plastic. You cut that plastic off, rinse it off good in the sink, uh, and then I pat it dry with some paper towel.ing I use a cutting board that I have to do a lot of this stuff because I can carry things right out to the grill on that sure. cutting board. So then I put that I put the two racks of lamb onto that cutting board, put some salt on it, then some granulated garlic, and that restaurant-grind black pepper. That's really important because there's different grinds of pepper. A lot of people don't right. realize Can this. I ask
1: you about that. What is restaurant-grade or
0: restaurant-grind Right. So you have finely-ground black pepper. Right. And have you ever noticed when people, you, you, maybe you're at the restaurant, somebody starts shaking and everybody starts sneezing? Right. Yeah, and there's th- dust floating all over the place. Right. And so that the way that it is ground also affects the flavor that it imparts to whatever it is you're putting into. Really? Absolutely. So, you know, it's the same thing as when you cut a piece of meat, depending on how thickly you cut that piece of meat, it changes the way that it chews in your mouth. It's the same thing with the pepper, but that restaurant grind pepper is a coarser grind Coarse of grind, pepper. Okay. It's not as coarse as what you might get when you buy one of those pepper mills that everybody's got the pepper mills now and big chunks come flying right. out of there.
1: Well yeah so, I was gonna say because I, I, I guess I've never checked, I'll have to start I just moved it to the biggest chunks right the, the uh, adjustment of the grind. I so never this is put it on little. I just have it you know fat flakes.
0: yeah, it's just a, a little it's a little different grind of, of the pepper. I use the same thing when I make my dry rub for ribs. I So this restaurant grind black pepper, you can buy the container. You know, Sam's Club carries all these bulk things. Sure. But yeah, put some of that on there. And then uh, if if you have a mortar and pestle, yeah. which I do, yeah, I take those rosemary leaves, I place those in that pestle, and I grind them to a fine powder. And then
1: everybody that ever had a, or I shouldn't say have, Anybody that's ever made a mint julep for the Kentucky Derby has a mortar and pestle. So or a, an old fashioned. Right. My dad used to love muddling. You gotta muddle how long, Dad? Forever. You're gonna muddle this forever. I know, and it's gonna be worth it. Just go
0: <laughs> go do something and I'll call you when it's ready. I think you're skipping ahead to dessert. Oh yeah, the sorry. Brandy old fashioned right. might be dessert.
1: And we gotta so. get to the phone. I'll just tell the caller. I'll get to you in just a second.
0: So then sure. so then we then you sprinkle that uh that rosemary, that powdered rosemary leaf onto the rack of lamb. Now I always start the grill about 15 minutes before I intend to cook because I want to get it up to temperature. I want that grill up to at least 400 degrees. We're going to put those two racks of lamb on the grill, directly on the grill for two minutes. I actually use my cell phone to time it and I watch because I don't want it to burn and you get some drippings or some grease down there and the next thing you know, the Flame thing catches city. on fire, and it's ruined. And right. That's happened directly to Directly over me. the heat, or do you use indirect heat? I or? put it directly on the grill because, again, we're trying to caramelize that meat. Okay. We want the Top heat. down, top up? Uh, I stay right there and watch it. Okay. okay. Yeah, because so I, I don't watch. want this to burn. Sure, sure. So a couple of minutes on each side, you can see that the meat starts to turn brown. That's the caramelization of the sugar in the meat. Uh-huh. But two minutes on each side, then I move it up to the top rack. I'm cooking the asparagus at basically the same time. I usually put that on a couple minutes before I'm going to start the, uh, the, rant, the rack of lamb. And then uh, all that stuff sits on that top rack for about 8 to 10 minutes. It depends on, now, you know, how do you control the heat of your grill? Do you have a, a thermometer on the front of the grill that's sure. telling you how hot it is? But I, I also, what I'll do is I'll turn off, I'll have three burners going. I'll turn off one of the burners to bring the heat down. And then, uh, yeah, about 8 to 10 minutes will bring that, that rack of lamb somewhere around rare to medium rare. And uh, and then you're ready to remove that from the grill with a pair of tongs.
1: Oh, baby. Put your headphones on because we get got a caller. Okay. And you won't be able to hear them without those headphones. So let's, uh, let's go to the phones. Hi, caller. Are you calling Cooley Region Cooks? Hello? Oh, wait a minute. Let me try this. Hey guess not. All right. Well, sorry. I took a chance that uh, that that person wanted to be on Cooley Region Cooks. I was wrong. If you want to be on Cooley Region Cooks, you got to call me. And because there's no one else here, I will just answer the phone sort of offhandedly and then get to you as soon as I can. So you can call back if you want to. Otherwise,
0: sorry. One other thing we should mention is that now, now that we've removed those racks of lamb from the grill, you just don't run in and start carving up those pork, those lamb chops. You didn't. Let me
1: ask you before we start doing that: uh, prep of the rack of lamb before you take it out to the grill. Uh, when you you take it out of the package, you don't have to take skin off like you would with a uh, with ribs, or season it and let it sit for a while. Just bring it to room temperature. That's it. Nothing else. Before right. it goes on the grill.
0: Yeah, the, I you know they're... This product that I've been buying, as I mentioned, I'm getting it at Sam's Club, is really well trimmed. So okay. there have been a couple times where, you know, there might be a, a piece of uh, something that I doesn't look quite right where I'll take a knife and trim it off of there. But for the most part, it's it's pretty much ready to go. Awesome. When when we're coming back into the house now, so I've got my cutting board that I have my <laughs> I tongs, you know, if this is another little tip for you. If you're going to grill... Get yourself some long-handled Long-handed tongs because how many times you've been out there and you got a fork or a, a spatula and that grill is hot and you see the hair on your knuckles start to curl up. Right. I mean, you, you know, you burn yourself inadvertently. So buy yourself right. a nice so set of long-handled. You only do that one time. Yeah.
1: You only burn the hair off your hand. <laughs> well, I must not be as smart as you
0: time. are because I've done it more than once. Oh, but... have
1: you? Now, one time. It really hurt. I, maybe because I have more hair on my hands
0: you're a faster learner.
1: Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm a big baby for pain. I'm not doing that again. That hurt. I got a big, long... Actually, I have big, long tongs. I have big, long spatula on one side, little spatula, and a tong thing on the other side so I can scoop under it and then grab it to pick it up, whether it's a burger or a chicken breast or something so it won't flip over because I've had that issue as well. Grab it with the tongs, squeeze too hard, it goes in half, and now I don't have a burger <laughs> I have I have ground burger
0: all over the top. Yeah, of you you gotta have you gotta use the spatula for burgers. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, a must.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you so, gotta have the right tools. That's for sure.
0: So whenever you're you're doing any kind of uh, grilling of meats, the the one thing that you want to make sure that you do is you allow that meat to stand after you've roasted it. Uh-huh. So that takes about ten minutes. So if you're whether it's a steak or maybe you're doing some kind of sirloin roast. Uh, and including the the rack of lamb, once you bring that into the house, you need to let that stand for 10 minutes. And that if you don't do that, what's going to happen is, and I'm sure everybody's seen this because they're in a big hurry, everybody's hungry, you start carving that meat up, and the next thing you know, there's juices running everywhere, yeah. and you don't want to lose that juice. Uh, and
1: you can't let the meat sit in that juice, expecting that the juice
0: will suck back in yeah once it's out you're it's out i
1: tried that with a steak once oh god i cut the steak too early i'll just let it sit here and the juice will suck back into this dry steak wrong
0: yeah so if you if you let the meat stand let it stand for about 10 minutes maybe 15 minutes it depends on how thick the piece of meat is right so if you got a really big uh thick two-inch steak or you've got a a sirloin roast let's say those are going to need to stand probably 15 minutes but for this rack of lamb, probably 10 minutes is going to suffice. And then all of that juice is going to stay in the meat. So that's a really important thing when you're doing your grilling of meats is make sure stay. you let it stand so all those juices stay in the meat. Stay
1: right there. Cooley Region Cooks on WIZM. I'm Mike Hayes, Bill Fee, and our guest in the kitchen. We'll come back. We'll talk a little about that muddled dessert, maybe. I don't know if you have a dessert plan, but if you don't we can use that mortar and pestle again. We'll be right back. I just love that. I love that particular food song because I had no idea what an eggplant was until my uh, farmer next door neighbor brought one over. That I got a bag full of tomatoes and a couple of other things. And I thought, oh, awesome. The tomatoes are... Your wife is such a good gardener, and this giant purple thing. What the heck is? It? I think that's. Uh, I think that's. Uh, not positive. Went to the grocery store, looked
0: around for purple things, looked for the name, an eggplant. Oh man. I wonder how many of your listeners that are cooks also have their own garden. I will bet it's a. I bet a bunch. Oh yeah. When I was growing up, we had a ginormous garden. Did you? My mom. Enlisted me as support, so I'd help plant it and weed it and water it. And eggplant was in there, and zucchini, and everything you can think of. We
1: had, when I was growing up, we had flower gardens. Uh, Partly, and I adopted this, well, my back changed my ability to garden. Because weeding is what we had to do at home when we were in trouble, or before we could go do whatever fun stuff we wanted to do. Mom, can I go? Is the garden weeded? Nope. As soon as that's done, you can go. <laughs> uh, got to go weed the garden. When I got older, my back is bad, and I would have to. it would have to be not just a raised bed. It would be a bar top garden for me not to have to bend over. Plus, went to the farmer's market 30 years ago and thought, you know what? That guy right there, that, that little man, that old guy right there, he's been growing this Forever. He's really good at it. And it only cost me, whatever it was, $3 for three gigantic eggplants and a tomato. It would take me
0: forever to
1: grow that myself. Forget it. I'm buying it from him.
0: It's unbelievable the deals you can get at the farmer's market. And there's certain things that I've learned I don't want to invest the time in, like green beans.
1: Oh, there you go. (laughs) And watermelon and zucchini and all kinds. I I, I have no vegetable garden. And nor will I ever have a vegetable garden. Well, I tried spices. I grew my own spices until one summer I was out of town, and I came back. I grew it in a big bowl, and I had little, row, little rows of various stuff. In the in, in the days I was gone, something happened, and I ended up growing a giant bowl of bouquet garni. I could pick out if you could see, oh, that's rosemary. I'd pick out a... But it all became entangled, and, uh, and so I just thought, I'm just going to grab a handful, whack it off, and that's the spice I'm going to
0: use. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, the, the ability to grow herbs around your house, if you have, you know, just a small pot uh, that you can put them in, it's super easy. So I grow all, a lot of fresh herbs. I've got a rosemary plant that's yeah. growing right now, uh, cilantro, got to replant that a few times every year. Basil, but you you can grow all this stuff fresh. I mean, if you're if you're somebody who likes to cook, to have access to those fresh herbs is awesome, Absolutely. and you can grow them right on your patio. Yeah, well, you don't yeah. even have to have a green thumb. Just water them <laughs> once in a while. I definitely don't have. A,
1: I don't have a green back. I I may have a very light green thumb, but bending over is the end of my gardening because in no time at all, my back is killing me, and now I'm grumpy, and then I got to go in the house and cook something. Darn it! I can't. So I just I'll I'll wait. I'll go to your grandma's garden and beg her. I'll tell you what, I did save a guy once. My former next door neighbor uh, had a what do you call that when you a garden under? He put straw and cardboard and stuff. It was supposed to keep the weeds from growing, and then everything you were going to grow would just grow up through. And it did. Uh, he didn't do something right. But later on, when all of that was a mess. He scooped it all off to try and start again, and he had white asparagus. And he thought, oh, man, my asparagus, it went all bad. <laughs> Why? Well, it didn't get any sunlight, so it's just all white asparagus. I just throw that away. Here's some green stuff over here. I'll eat this. No, 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 no. The white asparagus, wait, go to the grocery store and try to buy some and find out that it's, uh, you know, it's 8 bucks per stock. Right. Yeah, and right. it's delicious. So he accidentally grew a white asparagus, and it was delicious. He shared a little of it with
0: me. One of the things we should mention when we're talking about grilling, and especially something like this rack of lamb, which is pretty petite, it's it's a smaller piece of sure. meat, is you really got to watch that temperature. So you ought to have a meat thermometer. Uh, if you have a meat thermometer, you can buy those. Uh, oh, yeah, they're in a,
1: you know, a good yeah. quality thermometer is not expensive
0: yeah and and that's a simple way where this can become foolproof for you 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 make sure you have that meat thermometer especially if you're going to do something like a roast a lot of time it's hard to know you know how long does it take to cook that roast to the center so if you have a meat thermometer that can be a nice um handy tool for making sure that that you'll you you do not want to overcook that lamb no
1: (laughs) you know you don't because it just tastes terrible afterwards Look at that. All these people are all lined up to come in now. That's great. I'm glad they uh, I'm glad they figured it
0: out. There, Somebody spread a, the word. Yeah, there's a line going outside the studio here now. To, take a to number. Get some.
1: Take a number. Hey, can I get you to come back some Thursday and do this again?
0: Absolutely, we Mike. I, always love can't it. Can't be
1: any fun. You know, I gotta have Grumpy in the kitchen, otherwise we're doing it wrong. All right, we'll do it again. Because we do it every Thursday from ten to eleven right here on W I Z M Lacrosse. It's eleven.